How many products do you know of that have been to the moon and back that you can purchase the exact same model of today? I can't think of any. Then you must not own a Fisher Space Pen. Neil Armstrong and the entire Apollo 11 crew carried Fisher Space Pens when they went to the moon. Today, they are used on all NASA Apollo and shuttle missions. They're stocked on the International Space Station. And they're available to the public? They are. Because they have pressurized cartridges, these are the only pens out there that will write for you in virtually any environment, on any surface, even underwater, and yes, in outer space. These are great pens for sportsmen who spend a lot of their time outside. That's amazing, because I'm always looking for a pen to take fishing notes while I'm wade fishing, and I can't find one that works once it gets wet. This isn't your iPhone. This pen will write wet. It'll even write underwater. Fisher Space Pens make incredible gifts, and they're a great corporate incentive or reward. And if you're looking for another reason to own a Fisher Space Pen, they're used by the brave men and women of the United States military and law enforcement agencies around the world. Fisher Space Pen will customize any of their products with your company logo. Which one should I get? There's too many models to list, but the bullet remains the best-selling Fisher Space Pen. All Fisher Space Pens are made in the USA, and they were just honored by President Trump's third annual Made in America product showcase at the White House. I'm ordering mine now on their website, spacepen.com. That's spacepen.com. And don't forget to use promo code DRIFTWOOD to get 20% off your purchase. That's promo code DRIFTWOOD to get 20% off your Fisher Space Pen purchase. Order yours today, spacepen.com. The Driftwood Outdoors Podcast with Brandon Butler and Nathan Shags McLeod. The world of professional outdoor communication is pretty small. Uh, if you spend any amount of time in and around uh, the outdoor media world, you come to know people pretty quick and you quickly pick up on who some of the, the players are. Back in 2010, I was just kind of getting started, and I was at an event in Branson, Missouri, which is ironic because we're in Branson, Missouri right now, and Bobby Whitehead was there, and I'm in this condo with him, and I'm trying to work up the courage to go over and talk to him and and pitch myself a little bit, hoping that maybe he would pick me up in the Outdoor Guide magazine. The thing I had working for me is that... No matter where you are, conference-wise or organization-wise, everyone's always preaching how important it is to be open to mentoring people and taking them under your wing and trying to develop a new generation. So I'm thinking, he can't say no. This is Bobby Whitehead. (laughs) So I work up the courage to go over to him. I'm trying not to laugh. This guy that I'm admiring and just determined to (laughs) become friends with. And he couldn't have been any meaner to me. <laughs> he wanted nothing to do with me. Drinking his whiskey, playing some chess, and here I come trying to talk shop. And he just shut it down. Now let me tell you my side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> here we are at a media event in Branson, Missouri, and we've got people from all across the country and some of the giants in the business. We had uh, Rick Story from... Um, U.S. Sportsman's Alliance, 
Dane Smith. Um, who else was there? Kurt Hicken. And um, it was one of those really relaxing, wonderful. I'm sitting there listening to these guys, and I like to play chess. I'm not very good at it, but I love to play. And uh, I got a chess game going. We've got about 20 minutes or 30 minutes till dinner bell, which I just, I'm having a great time. We got like six or eight guys sitting out there, and these are my heroes <laughs> playing chess. I've got somebody that actually will play with me, and we're drinking whiskey and having fun. And this young kid comes in. Punk. It's all right. You can call him punk. A young punk walks in. Uh, he introduced himself. I had heard of him. I didn't know him. First time I'd ever met him, I think, wasn't it, Brandon? Yeah. And uh, first thing he does is he gets a chair right there next to me, and I'm contemplating my next chess move, taking a sip of whiskey, smoking a cigarette, having a wonderful time, listening to the Giants talk. And he, sho- he shoves his... Uh, his <laughs> he shoves his portfolio this this book that's got his press clippings in it and he shoves it in my face and he says uh, hey take a look at this and you know and he's all excited and and uh, <laughs> i wish i would have handled it differently <laughs> i really do but i was aggravated uh, it was like and um i kind of said i'd be happy to look at it but not right now and he's like, oh, okay. And Kurt Hicken saves me once again. He's one of my mentors, one of my great mentors. And he grabs it, and he looks through it, and he goes, oh, that's really nice. And he hands it back. Later on, he told me, he says, you could have just taken it, flipped through the pages, and said, that's great. <laughs> it, would taken, it would have taken you a couple of minutes is all. And I go, I know, I know. But anyway, I was like, who is this young kid? Who is this guy? I had heard a little bit about him. He had just come into town, just moved into the state from Indiana, or was it Colorado? Indiana. Yeah, he just moved in, and, and um, some of the other outdoor communicators were telling me about this kid, Brandon Butler. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I see him, you know, you know they, they, come and go, they come and go quickly. I, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, okay. And already I've got weight too much going on way too many writers hammering on me you know and um so i don't know what happened when the next okay the next time i really encountered brandon was um somebody on the missouri outdoor communicators board called me and told me the new slate and brandon butler was slated to be president he's vice president and president and I was kind of kind of pissed me off a little bit because <laughs> I was um, I was one of the founding members. Been there for how, how many years before you came? The organization was already like fifteen whatever years old. And uh, I'd gotten to a point where, and I'm not bragging or anything, but I got to a point where pretty much I was the main nominating committee man. And things were really busy at work, and things were going on. And I had a good crew and a benign board at the time. And um, uh, they went ahead and they took care of business. And there was somebody that liked them, and he got on the slate. And I'm like, they didn't even confer with me. I can't believe this. And um, then I had to get to know him because this uh, MOC, Missouri Outdoor Communicators, that's a big part of me. 
um, just the, the people, the group, what we do, what we accomplish. And I'm like, okay, so I was resigned to the fact that he was going to be in leadership. And so I started communicating with him, and I started realizing that I had a special man here. There was a point at which, during that um, time when Missouri Outdoor Communicators was growing, we got big enough where you couldn't really run it with volunteers. We, you know, we run it with volunteers. Every year it was a new vice president, a new president. Each one had different duties, but you had to recreate the wheel every year, every year. So it was kind of like my dream years ago, and I talked to other people about it too, it wasn't just mine, about getting an executive director, somebody. Like um, the major outdoor writer groups all have executive directors that take care of the business part of it. They send out the renewals, they do this, they do that, all that stuff. And um, I'll talk to Brandon about it. We were, got to a point where we had a really benign board. And if we were going to do it, if the group was going to survive, it was now was the time. We were going to have to do it. Or, you know, it wasn't going to just exist with volunteers anymore. And, and uh, it was during his term that we needed to make it happen. And I told him, you remember what I told you, Brandon? I had one reason for being president. There was only one reason you were born. <laughs> I, I don't like to think of it that way. There was, a, there was only, I told him that, I said, there was only one reason you were born, and that was to help me establish the executive director for Missouri Outdoor Communicators. You can do it. I came it. up with some other goals of my own. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you, you have. You exceeded in, in, greatly in many ways, uh, but uh, you accomplished, you know, as far as what I, what I needed, you, you accomplished it. We started working on it, and um, we had a tax situation. We didn't really, we weren't a, we weren't a 5013C or whatever they call it. We weren't a not-for-profit. Should we be? Can we be? Should we disband? What should we do? Do we owe the IRS money? What, all kinds of questions, and we did voluminous research on it. Yeah, talked to attorneys. You know, it's nobody knew kind of like what we should do. Well, we got it done. With that, I'm Brandon Butler. I'm Nathan Shags McLeod, and I'm Bobby Whitehead. Pleased to be with these boys of the outdoors. <laughs> Now, I think uh, we have to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, we're a week after the big win, but we're actually at the CFM media event at Lily's Landing. We're sitting out on the balcony overlooking Lake Tanicomo, one, I think we can all agree, one of our favorite places in the state of Missouri. I mean, it's in February. We're in shorts and T-shirts. Just beautiful weather down here fishing, and we got to watch the game and Man, those Kansas City Chiefs, man. I still it, it still hasn't sunk in that they are world champions. For me, it's, it's hard to deal with the emotions that I'm going through today, feeling genuinely excited like a fan. Because I've been a diehard Bears fan my whole life. But really, for the first time, I feel true affection for another professional football team. So I think... As of today, and I mean, how much more bandwagon could it get? <laughs> but I've been living in mid-Missouri now for 10 years. I figured out the other day that the house I live in now is the longest I've ever lived in one house in my life. Like, we moved a couple times when I was a kid. So having planted roots deeper in, in mid-Missouri than anywhere else ever in my life, 
I feel confident in in like my new fan mode as a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I was genuinely jumping around, excited. That comeback was incredible. They're just a a special team. I mean, Mahomes is it's like watching a young Jordan. He's amazing. So good. And I mean, for to be down by double digit points in all three playoff games and then even in the Super Bowl to be to outscore your opponent 21-0 in the last 6 minutes to come back down 10 in the fourth quarter that just doesn't happen. And I grew up in the hills of Oregon and one of my best friends, shout out Brandon Heath, was always a Chiefs fan and I grew up really watching him and liking him because of him and like Christian Okoye back in the day, the Nigerian nightmare and it was just so special to see it actually actually happen and I mean how long has it been since you actually were excited to watch a Super Bowl it was usually just like oh just don't let New England win my (laughs) mother-in-law my my mother-in-law stole my children from the Bears Nation and made them Broncos fans oh yikes so I couldn't be even more happy (laughs) to be on the Kansas City bandwagon than just to stick it at the Broncos a little bit today too and it's pretty incredible that the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup or Lord Stanley after 50 years 52 I think exactly they had never won a champ a world championship and then to for within the same season if you will the same the same same year the chiefs to bring it home to arrowhead that man it's it's pretty incredible and i think we have to talk about it's the super bowl we were doing it before we started the podcast your favorite commercials Mine was uh, the Jason Momoa commercial. Oh, him skinny. When he started taking all of his muscles off and everything. (laughs) And he was just tiny trying to bench press. The the thing is, though, is I, I remember the commercial and him, but I don't remember what the commercial was for. Yeah, neither do I. And I did see I did see a funny article. I can't remember uh, who wrote it, but it was talking about how that commercial almost ruined Jason Momoa for the rider because it was so creepy when his hair came <laughs> off and it was all bald. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Oh, uh, I think mine would have to be Rick and Morty. I'm a weird Rick and Morty guy with the Pringles. And Bobby, did you have a favorite commercial? You know. Um, I, I always like the car commercials. I always think they do a really good job, you know. Yeah, Sam Elliott with the mustache, the dance-off. Oh, the dancing mustache was good. That was that, funny. That was pretty good. That was good. Now, Bobby, we're really excited to get in and start talking to you and uh, about the Outdoor Guide magazine, but normally on these podcasts, uh, you say you listen, so you, you, should, you should know that we like to do a few articles beforehand, and there was a Missouri woman that wanted to protest the increase in her property tax and hatched a plan to pay her bill in nickels. Now, the plan went up in smoke when local officials said they wouldn't accept 1,419 rolls of nickels weighing 625 pounds. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing troll job. But uh, Cynthia Lockett had said that her that they increased her land value by 135% and her overall market value 45%. And she called and called and called and couldn't get anyone to return her phone calls to answer any questions on why it was such a large increase. So that was the brainchild then of, well, if you're going to troll me, I'm going to troll you. And she was quoted saying, it is going to be a little inconvenient to count those nickels. I mean, they'll be rolled. I'm not trying to be a complete jerk, but it's just they want to ignore us, ignore us, ignore us. And I thought, you're not going to be able to ignore the blue buggy when I wheel it in. 
At least it wasn't pennies. Like she was doing them a solid. Yeah, thing. and rolling it all for him. But apparently Jackson County has a long-standing statute that prevents it from accepting large payment and coins. So apparently they've been dicks for a long time and have had to deal with this before. I'm kind of at the point where can we just get rid of change altogether? Oh, that's a good take. I mean... <laughs> Who's picking up pennies these days? Like, if we're barely using cash as it is. Like, who has quarters for a parking meter? Yeah, that's frustrating a lot of times. And, I mean, I, I always just roll the dice at that point. But I think we should just eliminate coins. When I first started working at the Globe Democrat, Democrat downtown. You guys traded, like, crops and livestock for houses and clothing. <laughs> Hides. <laughs> Insulted eyes. <laughs> we didn't. We only a select few had parking uh, places, and the rest of us had to park on the street. And at the time, parking ticket was two fifty. And um, lots of times we did that. We'd roll the dice, and you know we were in and out of the building, and so on. And we had um, police show up one day, and uh, they handcuffed one of our salespeople. He had like. Um, Two thousand dollars worth of parking tickets or something. He, he never, he never paid a single, single one in several years, and they finally had caught up to him. Well, yeah, two bucks a pop. You really aren't paying those things for quite some time. You know, the Ozark Amphitheater. Have you guys ever been to the Ozark Amphitheater down at Lake Ozark? No, I, I, I've been by it. I've seen it. It's really not. pretty, tucked away yeah. there outside of Lake Ozark. Well, they got a dream lineup coming for classic rock fans this summer that Three Dog Night is performing June 6th and 7th and then Leonard Skinner is coming in Friday, June 12th and then along with Ario Speedwagon on the 4th of July and everything I've been hearing is that they're going to have a lot more really cool acts coming to the Ozark Amphitheater I've got to see a show down there one or two and it's really really neat because it's just nestled away with all the timber and stuff around it like it really feels like an outdoorsy amphitheater I want to give them a shout out on this but also talk to you guys a little bit about music because that's a really good lineup uh what was your guy what's the best concert that you've ever been to well let me think about that real quick um you mentioned ario i remember i was um sophomore university of missouri at rolla and um this band called ario speedwagon was coming to town and it was at this little center right there off campus right there on campus actually and um they had just come out with that song, Golden Country, I believe was the name of it. And um, I really liked it. I had a date. <laughs> In Rolla, that's an exceptional <laughs> thing to happen. <laughs> at the time, at the time. And um, um, got there early. We were like first ones at the door, real close. And uh, there were no seats. You just... When, but the receipts, but no, you know, you uh, uh, got first come, first serve. And we got uh, on the floor, on the gym floor, from here to, I was here from here to just past Brandon at the end of the table there. That's where the band was setting up. And that's where we sat. We put a blanket out and we sat down right there. And that was one of the best concerts I've, I've seen. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm old, you know, I'm old enough where I've seen the Stones. I've seen Clapton a couple of times. I've seen, you know. and uh, But that one, that one, one of the first concerts I, I really, really saw 
was one of the best ones I've ever seen in all my life. Wow. Gary Richrath on the guitar was just fabulous. Now, nobody really heard about REO Speedwagon up until then. They came out with that single. And from that point on, you know what's happened. Yeah. I, w- I would probably have to say mine, man. I've said, look, been working in radio, I've been pretty blessed and got to see uh, a lot of shows in, bet. in my day, too. But I think it would be, well, we talked about it on the drive down here to Lily's Landing about our favorite 90s bands. And mine has to be Stone Temple Pilots. And I got lucky enough to see them on their reunion tour when they the whole band finally got together uh, one last time. Well, it was supposed to be multiple times, but they came through St. Louis. Scott Weiland came out and just put on an amazing show. And after all those years, it's one of those bands, too, that you forget how many hits they had. Like, it was an hour and 45 minutes, and every single song was just a banger. Like, you knew the words and were dancing along. And I just consider myself lucky because the next day was down in uh, Tennessee and apparently Scott wouldn't come out of his trailer because he got a little too messed up on smack like he liked to do and he wouldn't come out and then the band was like, all right, we can't do this again and they disbanded. So I I got to see STP and their their final performance in St. Louis. Wow, that's pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. I remember Tom Petty came to town a couple times. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Tom Petty. That's, see, that's one, so, I, one great, I wish I would have seen. Yeah, yeah. The best concert, I guess, as far as the venue, I was at the first Bonnaroo. Ooh. That was pretty cool. Nobody knew what to expect at the time, and it was huge and incredible, but that's kind of cheating because it was a festival. I think the best uh, just solo concert that I've ever been to was when I first moved to Colorado and at Red Rocks. It was The Dead with Willie Nelson opening for them. And then Warren Haynes sat in with the dead, too. So if you've never been to Red Rocks, it's phenomenal. It's the best concert venue I've ever been in. And uh, to hear the dead there with Willie and Warren, that was a phenomenal concert. You know, you mentioned Willie. Uh, Debbie, my wife, and I have seen Willie a dozen times. For a while there, he was running the the, uh, state fair circuit. We made sure we always had tickets, and we were there, and have seen him many, many times. My favorite concerts are, are big to, big names in medium to small venues. So, like, uh, saw John Mellencamp at Mizzou on campus, you know, in the small auditorium. Saw George Jones in the Little Nashville Opry one time. I bet that was good. Yeah, that was great. And took Bailey when she was maybe maybe not even six months old yet, to a, a middle school auditorium or gymnasium in Billings, Montana to see Willie Nelson. And there was just bleachers that came off the walls like in any basketball gym. So we got up close to the stage on the bleachers, and Willie came out on stage, and I held Bailey up and was kind of just holding her there, and he was doing like goo-goo gaga with her, like pinching his fingers to his thumbs. And so Willie came over, and he was only maybe... 25 feet from us, you know, and he was doing little faces at my baby, which was pretty cool. I'll tell you my Willie story, Willie Nelson story real quick. Um, I had press passes at um, Hearn Center for a while. I was the editor for the uh, campus uh, paper for a while, and I had good press passes. And I uh, got front row seats, and there was, I got like eight of them. I had my whole family. <laughs> We we went in there with press passes and we were in the front row and we had been drinking beer and we were ready to party and Willie's band was all set up and it was a Redheaded Stranger tour. Remember the Redheaded Stranger? It's from and, Blue Rock, Montana. Okay, okay, good boy, good boy. 
and there's uh, usually a point where uh, during one of Willie's concerts when the venue allows it where you can throw a hat up to him and he'll wear it and I had on a one of those old cowboy hats and straw hats with feathers on it and all that and and um, he was like, um, and I took my hat off and I threw it and went just like a Frisbee right to him. It was like, man, it was a good shot. <laughs> he put it on and that was the song that he sang wearing my hat was Redheaded Stranger. My brother-in-law had a camera and he was taking pictures of all that. I said, take, take a picture, take, take that picture, take that picture. Uh, he took a hundred pictures, they were all the same. Willie, <laughs> Willie wearing my hat singing. You know, but I was so excited. When he got done, he was like, uh, do you want your hat back? I'm like, yeah. He threw it just like a Frisbee. I got it. I still have it after all these years. That was back in um, mid-70s, I want to say. Oh, wow. That's there, cool. There's a theater back in Maryville, Indiana, where we all grew up, and it's been torn down, but it was the place. You know, it's like where we had high school graduation and everything. And When Willie and Waylon and Johnny Cash and that whole crew kind of fizzled out a little bit there in the 80s when they were playing down here in Branson and stuff. You know, they were much more accessible and they, they all had that resurgence kind of at the end of life, but my grandpa and his buddies were playing at this golf course out on Broadway just down the road from that theater and uh, they hit into the foursome ahead of them and the guy turned around and started yelling at them. It was Waylon Jennings <laughs> yelling at them. And then when they made the turn, Willie Nelson came up to him and apologized for Waylon being such a dick. <laughs> Good one. Oh, man, that's awesome. That is great. I could sit here and talk music all, all, all day long. But um, I read an article in the Smithsonian talking about how Americans went to the library more often than the movies in 2019. Now, this was a Gallup poll, and they asked participants how many times they had engaged in leisure activities over the past year. And going to the library was the clear winner, averaging 10 and a half trips. Now, seeing a movie at the theater was the second most common activity, with an average of 5.3, followed by a live sporting event at 4.7. And at the bottom of the list was going to the zoo, which averaged under one visit in in the year. Now, cost seems to be the key factor in driving these trends, because visiting libraries is free, as are the variety of services libraries offer i just found it interesting because all you hear about are how libraries are dead they're they're going to the wayside we have the internet what do we need libraries for but it sounds like that they're doing quite well well a lot of people go to the library to use the internet so i'm a library geek i love the library i mean i even back in elementary school i loved the librarian she would order books for me i've always just gravitated towards libraries and even when I was in school, that's when the computers started being associated with libraries. So I regularly go to the Columbia Library, and up on the third floor, they've got these meeting rooms or, like, private office spaces. You go in there, it's dead quiet. You get free internet. Nobody bothers you. Like, there's some great resources at libraries. I'm I'm a big fan. I don't – I rarely ever check anything out from it, but you can – get free audiobook downloads now i understand hmm. and i haven't started doing it yet but that's the next thing i want to do is start utilizing the library like that so books aren't going away anytime soon but even if books don't become 
the only driver to go to a library. There's a lot of other reasons. That you didn't mention uh, hunting or fishing. Or no, that wasn't on the, the Gallup poll wasn't asking. It was like nine things, everything from museums to I zoos. To, they gave them nine nine so leisurely activities that, that people do. I understand. That the library for me growing up was always my safe zone. That I got picked on and bullied a lot all through middle school and then about my sophomore year in high school and then I got bigger than everyone. I grew six inches in one summer. I was going to say, who's <laughs> picking on you? It took a while to fill, fill out. But I remember just the mad dash of having like three or four bullies right on my tail and me running as fast as I could down the hallway. And as soon as I hit that library door, I knew they couldn't do anything and like turn around and flipping the bird and going oh boy i'm just digging my digging my hole deeper but at least i'm safe for the next 45 minutes i never really cared for the library all that much i'd check out uh, old chests i'd go in there and do that (laughs) (laughs) thankfully those are just all online now one one experience i had with the library at the university of missouri there in columbia was uh do you remember the uh, streaking uh you guys are too young to remember uh, when streakers hit the planet. Yeah, those didn't oh. exist in our day. Yeah, you know, no. no. Naked it's, people uh, running around. Never. It's 1973, and um, we're sitting around in our room. We're in uh, Tiger Towers, and there's four of us in a room. And um, we see on the TV that there was a streaker. The University of Missouri Columbia right, it was right down the street from us. We're like, what? Are you kidding? What? And uh, it was like, um, I don't know what got into me, but uh, I liked the idea. (laughs) Of being a streaker or just seeing one? Well, both. (laughs) I have to to admit, I have to. uh, And um, we got, uh, I told my buddy, uh, Big Ed, one of my roommates, I said, let's go get some liquor. I want to get drunk. I don't want to, I'm going to. I'm going to go streaking. <laughs> we went and got some. He, we bought the cheapest bottle of whiskey you could. It's an old Mizzou gin or something. I can't remember what it was. And I started pounding it down. And, and the people down the hallway started hearing it. White, Whitehead's going to streak. Pretty soon we had a crowd and I'm doing shots. I'm trying to get my courage up. My mouth had already overloaded my ass. <laughs> And uh, finally, I got enough gin in me where I was like, okay, here's the plan. Big Ed, it was only one of the four of us that had a car. I said, okay, drop me off right there by Brothwell. I'm going to run through the, uh, the commons deal to the arch. I'm going to run down to on the corner I hit, whatever it was. We had a plan. I was, it was, he dropped me off. Then he raced down to the other end. And uh, I started running. I didn't have anything on but tennis shoes. I chucked all my clothes and left them in the car. Now, one of the smart asses there at the semi-dorm called Radio Station. You'll appreciate this. I run through, I run through the Commons deal. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this kid on a bike. Comes up next to me. And he's got a microphone. <laughs> And he's like, "What? But why are you doing this? Well, what's a you know?" And I'm running. Right at that time, the library had let out. It was eleven <laughs> o'clock. No. Library closed. I run through. We had timed it. Was going to? It wasn't going to be anybody, but maybe a couple witnesses. You know, my yeah. buddy and so on. And all of a sudden, people were streaming out of the library. 
coming, you know, going back to the dorms and all that. And I had to run through the. And I started doing, ah! I started screaming, started screaming, ah! And I ran, and I ran to the point, you know, I ran. I had to run like six blocks. Was the plan, and. Um, <laughs> my buddy was there man he picked me up i jumped in the car took me back and i was a hero <laughs> people were coming down they were high-fiving me one gal came down she goes i think i just saw bobby whitehead running down the street <laughs> it was it was it was and then it, the it just took off it was like an amazing fad um every night there became more and more streakers Finally, there was a point where we had, I want to say, a couple of hundred people that were streaking. Was there like a streaking club? Well, <laughs> it, it was, it was, I had this buddy. He was about your size. It was, it was Ken, Ken Weber was his name. And uh, he and I were good buddies. We were on an intramural football team. And we, were, we were a team. I was quarterback. He was a uh, well, receiver, and we were really tight. And uh, uh, we went over to Stevens. One of the one night or soon after, and we just went to a group, every group of women. There'd be three ladies. You want to streak? You want to streak? Pretty soon, there were a couple of them said, "Yeah, we'll streak." So they, we checked our clothes in the bushes, and the four of us took off. I had a girlfriend for the whole semester. She turned <laughs> out to be we turned out to be really good friends. It was a wild time. It really was. But I'm proud to say that I was the second streaker. At the University of Missouri, Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> for the, for those that don't know, Stevens is an all-girls college in Columbia. So what you're saying is it's really just a numbers game. If you ask enough of them, eventually you're going to get to yes. Exactly right. We need to get you a T-shirt that says that. A second official streaker. Or you a know, certificate I've done a, for his office. <laughs> yeah. I've, done, I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm not proud of. That's not one of them. <laughs> Now, I was curious, too, uh, to kind of wrap up this library versus the movies, uh, what was your, what was the best book and the best movie that you read and watched last year? Ooh, the best book and the best movie. I read Harry Truman's biography. I really enjoyed that, learning more about the one president from Missouri. I thought that was a, that was an ordeal, too, because it was a a very thick book. Um, What was his middle name? S. (laughs) S. <laughs> Harry S. Truman. I don't know what his middle name is. What is it? It's S. Yeah. Evidently, whenever he went to sign in, whenever he went to whatever his paperwork was to be president or whatever, they told him he had to have a middle name. He didn't have one. He just got a letter. That's right. That's right. Harry Truman once said, uh, every now and again, man must strike a blow for freedom as he raised the scotch glass to his lips. I would have to say my favorite book, well, I'm reading one now, The Empire of the Summer Moon, about the Comanches and how brutal they were and how they just controlled the plains, but I haven't finished it. I started it last year, but I haven't finished it, but that book is incredible. But, Butler, you'll laugh at me because I bring it up so much, but it's Bitten, the secret history of Lyme disease and biological warfare that it theorizes well it proves that the u.s government was using insects like ticks and fleas and all sorts of bugs and injecting them with disease to see if they could use them as biological weapons now the book couldn't pinpoint if lyme disease 
actually was government made, but there is a lot of evidence pointing at it. And something that I learned is the disease is named after the city, Lyme, Connecticut, where it was first where it first showed up in the 70s. And it is a terrifyingly fascinating book where you will think that you will be a believer that the government made this in a lab and somehow it got out or it was released. That's interesting. I didn't know that. No, it's fascinating. I just reread uh, Shepherd of the Hills. I've I've read it a hundred times and I never get tired of it. It's a very simple book, you know. I gave you a copy, I think. I've got a I've got a uh, first edition Shepherd of the Hills that I picked up a while back. That's a, a prized book possession. That's an amazing book. Movie? Uh, you know, the first time I saw Dumb and Dumber, I didn't really like it that much. But now I can sit here and repeat that entire movie for you. So the first time I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was sort of the same deal. I didn't like it. I was I was so excited for this Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt movie, Quentin Tarantino, of course, uh, so many other great movies that he's done. I just thought it was slow and kind of drug on, but I've watched it twice more since the first time, and that's really grown on me. And I'm a big Brad Pitt fan, so the fact that he's picking up these awards and hopefully he wins the Oscar for it. So I'm, I'm kind of, I think that might be the best movie I saw last year. It's really growing on me. I'd have to say, I mean, you make fun of me for my, my love for comic books and Marvel, but I don't think, I think Joker beats Endgame. I mean, Endgame was good just because it was a decade of build-up and storytelling and them wrapping it all up, but seeing Joaquin Phoenix uh, become the Joker was just so disturbing. It's not one that I've seen again. I saw it in the theater, and I left, and I even told Savannah, I was like, I feel like that was a movie we weren't supposed to watch. Like, you were just eavesdropping on a poor man's descent into madness. But his performance was so captivating, I could not turn away. It was so good. Well, you're so sensitive, man. Like I don't, I don't make fun of your Marvel movie love. I, I think it's perfectly normal for a 41 year old grown ass man to be all giddy about comic book characters. Man, I grew up with those characters, and finally to be able to see them on the big screen, it's just exciting. But Joker, Joker was incredible. That was legit. And when I walked out of the theater that night, I said they should just cancel all the award competitions and hand them to Joaquin and so far he's cleaning up too so yeah, it's well deserved Bobby did you have a favorite movie from last year you know I, I can't think of any that I've seen in the last couple of years that I really liked I'm one of those guys let me ask you a question what's one of those movies that uh, you're cruising through the TV and you come on to it and it might be halfway through but you're stuck you have to watch it every time that's right I got I mean, a couple of those I, I can name three Godfather 1, Godfather 2, and Goodfellas. Oh, Goodfellas, yeah. It's right hard off the to, bat. Hard to turn off Goodfellas. Shawshank Redemption, I can't, I gotta watch that all the way to the end. That's one of those. That, uh, Deliverance is another one. If Deliverance comes on, if I catch that going through, I'm stuck again. I've seen it a hundred times. I'd probably have to say The Big Lebowski just because of how dirty and foul-mouthed it is and when it's on TV and how creative they get with all the F-bombs and everything that it, it somehow elevates it to just even more ridiculous that, uh, I mean, I just love The Big Lebowski. I, I love that one too. The Coen Brothers. Oh, Brother, Where Out Thou? That's another one. If it comes on, that's, that's staying. We thought you was a toad. <laughs> Stan yeah, Ray I plays uh, Ramblin', Ramblin' Bob. 
It's my uh, it's my deal whenever my music whenever I come on. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Bob, you've been around for quite a while. You've uh, gone from the guy shunning me out of a a condo to my established Bob father, a true mentor and, and guide in a lot of the professional endeavors that I've been involved in. So. Why don't you kind of introduce people to your career in the outdoor industry and and how this got started for you? Well, well I'll just go back to J School, journalism school. And um, that was during the Watergate days. And uh, there were a lot of people that wanted to become Woodward and Bernstein. And um, it was just a big uh, rush to uh, journalism schools. And uh, I didn't really want to be a reporter uh, but I was kind of fascinated with the business, with the industry, and uh, I was able to barely get in, and uh, I kind of got started that way, and I kind of looked at my choices, and I chose the advertising sequence. I thought, all right, you know, it might be fun to produce, be creative, do commercials, make money. You know, the guys on the advertising side seem to make a lot more money than, um, than the reporting, on the reporting side, so I took that sequence. And, um, and I worked for the um, campus newspaper, uh, starting off as an ad sales rep. There they had a looking for help, and uh, I thought, you know, that'd be a good experience. And I started doing that, and I uh, just had, had uh, this uh, drive to write, to read and write, well, all the way since I was a little kid. And, and um, when I was hanging around at the paper. Um, uh, I'd hang out with the, the sports reporters, and uh, a slot came open after I'd been there a couple of years, and I started doing that. And uh, pretty soon they made me editor, and, and then I stayed as editor for the campus paper for like four or five years, even after I graduated. It was really a nice gig. What happened was I got a lot of experience early that helped me later on when Outdoor Guide came along. And um, I knew the aspect, you know, the business part of it. There are a lot of people who have good ideas for good, good magazines. And Brandon, you know this too. And uh, they really work hard to try to do it, but they don't generate enough revenue to keep it going. And uh, I kind of had that background early on, so I applied that. And uh, we started the magazine about 30 years ago. We had this. Um, Opportunity. We were doing sports shows uh, with the weekly that I was working for. And we had an opportunity to do an outdoor program for the boat show, the St. Louis Boat and Sports Show. And um, at the time, I was an advertising salesman uh, in that job. And we produced, uh, oh, I think it was like a 32-page tabloid. It wasn't anything huge, but it was... It turned out it was really nice, and we had really good reception at the boat show. So my boss called me in the next week after that, uh, at the, after that show and said that uh, he thought we might have a new publication. We had gotten a lot of re- good response from that, and we talked about it for a little bit, and we thought, okay, we'll try it. And uh, he came up with a name, Outdoor Guide Quarterly. We do it four times a year. And we started off, and our sales staff started working on it. And we had Ron Kruger was our first editor. And um, we had Bud Thies. Bud Thies was also uh, one of the editors, one of the writers. And um, we started uh, 
selling it. We sold it. Our first publication came out. It was beautiful. It was 32 pages. It wasn't much, but I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful. And I was on the edge on the business side of it at the time. What year and month was that? It was uh, April of 92. And um, that first publication was so successful and so so beautiful. I just loved it. I, my wife and I, we took a little vacation after that. And I remember taking a copy with me. And I was on the beach. And I just kept looking at every page and reading every story. And just you know, savoring the, the product. Thinking I couldn't wait to get back and put together the next one. I was, we were only gone a week. And I got back and my boss called me in. He said he had bad news. While I was while I was out of town, he had, uh, but these had passed away. He'd had a problem and it didn't work out, and he died. And he fired Ron Kruger. He and Ron Kruger had gotten into it, and he fired Ron. <laughs> Kruger made one episode, one one issue, one issue. <laughs> and uh, and Ron had been working on uh, doing the outdoor sports for us in the weekly for a few years up until then. And I knew him, and I respected him, and I really liked him, and we got along fine. And I was like, oh, my God. We, so here we have no editor. And uh, we just started this publication, and it looked like it was going to be successful. And we thought, you know, we had a meeting with my boss and his boss at the time, Ed Finkelstein, who ended up being my partner, and uh, told him, you know, where we were. We interviewed um, for a new editor. At the time, we interviewed Bill Seibel, uh, Kathy Etling. They wanted way too much money they wanted like 50 or 60 thousand dollars to start and so on we were on we were just on the shoestring we just started and so we couldn't couldn't do that my boss wouldn't he's no no we're not we're not going to do that and um one night i was just having some cocktails at home and i was thinking about it and i thought maybe i could do that <clears throat> at the time you'll like this shag i didn't know the difference between a bait caster and a spinning rod <laughs> i had no clue about anything but I knew that there was something there. I knew we, I knew, I really believed that we could make some money at this and have fun with it too. And uh, so I went into my boss and I said, I, I got an idea. So I told him, and he's like, you know, if you think you can do it, I know you can. And then we went to his boss, Ed, told him about it, and Ed says, well, you boys can do it if you don't lose any money. Just go for it. So we started working on the next issue it became so successful so quickly that outdoor guide quarterly the first year we added a final edition holiday edition so there were five issues after that we thought well we'll add another edition at the beginning of the year boat show and became six issues a year it never was quarterly (laughs) people after 30 years i still get mail to outdoor guide quarterly it was such a great name and uh, but anyway, it's, uh, that's kind of how it took off, and uh, from there we just um, you know stayed at it, and, and um, it's really neat because it's um, as you know it's a regional publication, you know with a national flavor. You know we talk about Missouri and Illinois, and other exciting outdoor destinations which can be anywhere, which is really cool, and so in the St. Louis market area, we've really been solid for 30 years now. It's a, it's well, it's just a, throw, it's a throwback to the way outdoor publications were when we were kids. You know, there's just so few of them left. Really, yeah, the Outdoor yeah. Guide and Midwest Outdoors are the two that 
I just treasure because there's so many stories in there and they're they're locally uh, important and you just did such an amazing job keeping that so relevant for so long when others fell away yeah we were lucky we really were i mean we've had a pretty good sales staff and you know we've been dedicated and we've had the same people where um our company is one of those companies where you know uh, we people come and they work and they retire you know it's like uh, what our buddy spence turner say a lot um if you love your job you never have to go to work what what made it so special for you though your real talent lies in relationships like everybody loves bobby whitehead and it's because you make everybody feel good uh you you're just one of those naturally happy people that kind of radiate joy when others are around you and that's led to so many long time relationships with incredibly interesting people like ted nugent and ray i um crazy people like larry dablemont uh you've had this incredible stable of friends for the last three decades why don't you maybe name some that i haven't touched on there and how some of those relationships were special yeah you know i'm really lucky i'm really lucky um shags uh i'm not an expert at anything at anything nothing but i'm lucky to know a few now (laughs) i really am and yeah, I'm curious how you met the new Uncle Ted. Well, um, we just started the magazine, maybe two years old, and we were doing a show in Columbia, Missouri. Remember the Deer Classic they used to have every year in uh, March? And uh, Claudette Roper was um, a friend of ours, and she ran the show. And uh, she had hired Ted Nugent this upcoming year to do the show. And uh, I asked her if she would put our booths, put us together you know, please. And uh, she did. And I'll never forget it, uh, that uh, it was the place was crammed full of people on a Saturday. It was a mid-morning. The, his Spirit of the Wild Commandos had set up next to us, and, man, they were slick. They had all the merchandise out, and they were all in their, you know, their outdoor outfits and, you know, young people, and it was really cool. He hadn't shown up yet, and they were all setting up, and and we were doing business and selling new subscriptions and excited and looking forward to meeting Ted. And uh, when he showed up, when he walked in, he walks in with his leather jacket and got the fronds hanging off of it. You know how Ted looks, man. He's commands. Wherever he goes, he commands attention. And uh, he came in, and, I mean, people were like, you know, he strolls to his booth. And all of a sudden, people line up all the way around the building. To get come across, come meet Ted, buy merchandise or whatever, and we're right next to him. This is perfect. This is just what we wanted. We got all these people, and they're going to come right by our booth to get to Ted. He's right next to us, and all of our sales stopped. Everybody, they were in line <laughs> to see Ted. That was it. But that was okay. And I remember at one point we had a little break, and I went over and introduced myself and showed him the magazine and he came over to the booth and he was really cool very nice and um my buddy jared billings and i were working the booth at the time and it's like do you mind getting a couple of pictures and uh, he's like yeah 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 so we get and i put my arm around him kind of like this way he puts his arm you know how you do your picture thing <laughs> and i put my hand in the, in the behind you know his shoulder it's like 
there's something under that coat. He's, I said, oh, whoa. <laughs> a heater. He goes, definitely a heater, young man. <laughs> you know, he had a gun, you know, had his gun behind him had there. We talked for a little bit, and um, he said that he writes, and could he write? You know, would he entertain him writing, you know, writing for me? And I said, of course. And uh, we, of course, was, you know, we, and pretty soon he started sending stuff in. And uh, I started publishing, you know, at least one Ted Nugent every issue if I could. What a prolific writer! For every issue, for every uh, for every six articles of his I use per year, he's got uh, ten times that he sends. And he sends them to lots of different publications. Some people use them, some don't, or whatever. But um, I remember when he first started writing for me. Um, trying to be the good editor that I was wanted to be at the time I remember I look back on and what an idiot I am but <laughs> I, I, I uh, corresponded with him you know on and off and would talk about you know that was great I really that, what a great phrase you, you, he has a way of turning a phrase as you know and um, I remember one time telling him that you know it would be a lot better if you break your Breaking into smaller paragraphs, you know, kind of break stuff up a little bit or whatever. He started doing that. He, really, he you know, so I can say that I actually helped him a little bit. But since then, he's been an integral part. He's become, he's become a friend. I just, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm proud of it. I'm proud that he, you know, he's part of our family, our outdoor guide family, and gotten to know him over the years. I've been able to go backstage a couple of times when he's getting ready for a concert. Of course, he's got his spear of the commandos all around him, and he's doing, gives, giving his lecture and his rant and so on. I can't tell you how much stuff he sent me I can't publish. Here's a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, there's a few times I let stuff go by early, and Man, we'd be getting calls. My boss would call me in and say, and there's a one point where, I mean, I thought, I might really be in trouble, you know. And uh, But we got through it and so on. But that's been a really great relationship. You know, another guy that um, I don't know how nationally he's known, but uh, to us, he's an icon in the business, Joel Vance. Joel Vance started writing for us right away. He's had a column on page six called Random Shots for close to the 30 years i just talked to him the other day he's joel's getting up there now but he's still producing what a prolific writer he is talk about two people that couldn't be more opposed to each other i know it ted nugent and joel vance one of the great things about outdoor guide is we do all kinds of crap like that <laughs> you know i'm i got i had a point where i've got one writer that's caused me a lot of controversy over the years can i mention his name yeah larry dablemont Larry Dablemont, I don't know if you know him or not, but I don't. Um, he's um, batshit crazy. <laughs> he, he's um, <clears throat> one, one of my favorite writers. I've been out with Larry turkey hunting. I've been with him fishing. Uh, we've done lots of stuff together over the years, and um, um, I used him a lot early on. And then I started acquiring some people that really knew knew. <laughs> Knew some things besides me, and point out where every now and then he would give lies wasn't, when he would just flat out lie. I wanted, in to, say, I wanted to say some of his information wasn't factual. <laughs> so, like, was when, I, I, was I, when I say batshit crazy, I don't want people to get all excited, like, you know, like he's cool crazy. Like, this guy's Hunter off S, his Hunter rock. S. Thompson. Yeah, he's crazy, not yeah. like Hunter S. Thompson crazy. He's like. 
somebody should help him. There was out a there crazy. was a there was a there was a point at which um, he applied for a job at the Department of Conservation, and um, things didn't work out. And I think he's held that against. He's him vowed since. revenge ever since. So he <laughs> he just makes up fake news and publishes it. And he I think he's lost it to the point where he actually thinks what he's saying is maybe true and relevant. But oh, he does. Yeah, but he, he's just so far gone. But I've seen the I've seen the side of him when he writes about the outdoors, when he writes about the stuff that he knows about. And uh, he's really good. I mean, he's a trapper, uh, a great hunter, a good fisherman. He grew up, you know, his grandpa, his, his dad, you know, the Ozark Rivers, that's his love. The Big Piney is one of his favorites, and it's one of mine. And uh, whenever he gets into talking about what he's seen and what he knows, he's pretty sharp about the outdoors, and he's really good. All right, that's enough about that clown. I want to talk about a real outdoorsman. Tell me some stories about Ray I. Okay, okay, I'd love to. Um, I met Ray at a sports show in St. Louis shortly after we started the magazine. I noticed that um, wherever he'd go, there'd be a crowd. And uh, my buddy Jared Billings told me, who loved turkey hunting, that this was the turkey god. And we're working here at the show, and I went out and I introduced myself early on, and we hit it off. And um, he started doing some writing for us. Now that's when an editor's job is re- when you really get to, <laughs> when you earn your paycheck. When you really earn your pay. When it started <laughs> off, um, he's uh, talking about in the field. This boy knows his stuff. He called a turkey. He, you know, he's uh, really something. But uh, we met, and um, shortly after that, not too long after that, we had an idea for an outdoor sports show we wanted to try. And Bray um, uh, became one of my partners early on, as uh, Ray and, and a couple other people, my boss and Claudette Roper, we became, we became partners and did, did a show for a couple of years, tried to do an outdoor show in the fall. And we became close friends. We did a lot of hunting together. I've hunted with Ray in Florida. I've killed turkey. I've killed oscillated turkey with Ray. I've killed a Merriams in New Mexico with now, Ray. I'm going to fact check that right now. Did you kill an oscillated turkey? Um, Osceola is what I meant to say. Because you missed an oscillated. Yeah, I was Ray. I was exactly right on the oscillated. I was with Ray, and I should have. I screwed the pooch, and you know I've done that a lot of times where I really screw things up, and I I didn't kill that one. But uh, I've killed turkey with him in New Mexico, Merriams, Kansas, several Missouri. We've been on a lot of hunts, and Ray's one of these kind of guys where he's. It just got things that Ray I. Everywhere he goes is a disaster. There's like a cloud <laughs> that follows that man. He, uh, for lots and lots of years, he had cameramen. He had people that uh, wanted wanted to you know get in the business and so on and or they provide they send cameramen out with him on a hunt and they didn't know anything about the outdoors and they'd screw up a hunt they'd move at the wrong time you know they didn't know what they were doing or so on and he got aggravated finally after several years he got aggra- started carrying his own camera and during that time he and I spent a lot of time in the woods lot of time together and i watched him learn i watched him he started off with a cheap little camera and 
I can't tell you how many times we were in situations where the camera would screw up. We'd be in the sand hills of Kansas and sand and getting his camera and whatever. We were down in Florida on one hunt one time and it was one of those perfect deals and the bird's coming and he's filming it and it's and before it really is going to be a great camera shot his camera screws up well i killed the bird but we didn't get <laughs> i kill it you know i killed it at 45 yards instead of 25 yards which it could have been but the camera screws up and but he got better and better and better over the years there was one time where we were fall hunting and um we were coming down the hill there across the river there on the big piney where you killed a turkey a few years ago that's a good story and uh we uh broke up a brood flock it was kind of by accident we come around the corner and all of a sudden there's like 40 turkeys scatter you know and uh we're like oh okay okay they there's a pasture and they all landed and scattered in the woods across the pasture we start walking across the pasture and we're stopping and he stops and he'll push in catches some shots of them in the trees and oh there's one over there and all of a sudden from the woods on the right i see something running it's a turkey <laughs> it's running right at us I'm like there's something behind it something chasing it i feel ray right ray ray look right he turns the camera and this turkey's running and a bobcat's right behind it He's filming, he's filming, and I'm just standing there behind him. I'm like, wow, look at this. The bobcat catches the turkey. Raves like he's moving in, moving in, closing in, closing in. Finally, the bobcat says, screw it. He gives it up. He bobcat runs off. I go over and I kind of boot the turkey with my with my boot on, the butt, on his butt, and it pops up and runs off. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. Can you believe what we just saw? So we sit down there right in the middle of the pasture in the grass. He runs his film back in the camera. He's looking and he's like, what, what? I'm like, what, what? He's, he's disappointed. He's, he's like, he's trying to get back to it. When the turkey, when he turned the camera on the chase, he inadvertently put it on, inadvertently put it on pause. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> How many times are you going to see that? Shaggy, Shag, you think you ever see a bobcat chase and catch a turkey? No. Do you think I ever see one again? Probably not. And uh, it's just one thing like that after another over the years. We had to remember the bad boy duck buggy days or bad boy. Bad boy buggies. Bad yeah. boy buggy come out. He had one. He was one of their sponsors for a while. And every year we had a brand new. Uh, and he did things with that. He was like a, a field tester for him. <laughs> and there, there were times where we crossed the river, didn't make it. Times we had to, you know, it was just unbelievable what, what we did. The places we went with that thing where he would try to make it go. And then uh, most of the time it would be okay we would do that. But um, I've been with him on lots of hunts across the country and so on. And what a marvelous caller. What a lot of turkey callers do is they try to mimic the hen and call the turkey. What uh, Ray does a lot of times is he mimics the gobbler and prays in their territorial. And even during the mating season, he does the gobbler, gobbler yelps a lot, does a lot of the gobbler calling, and he's a cutting master. He can really cut on a call. Oh, he can kiki too. Oh, my goodness.
he's really really good ray makes his own calls you know he's got his own little equipment and whatever and he does his own mouth calls well, for a while he had a company going didn't he <clears throat> yes he did he was it ozark call. mountain calls or i don't know then i don't remember the name but he had a call company there for a while yep yeah a turkey i killed down there this property we're talking about it's on the big piney river and 700 private acres with this just beautiful bluff i mean hard hard to picture i mean you sit out on this rock outcropping overlooking the river but then it overlooks these real lush alfalfa fields down in the valley and we hunted opening morning everybody on the same side of the river because it was swollen and flooded and we're up on the bluff gathered as a group after the one o'clock close in missouri you can only turkey hunt till 1 p.m and all these birds like a half a dozen of them are strutting in these fields in front of us at one o'clock right after 1 30 right after the close and i go man i sure wish we could hunt over there and they go uh, ray i goes you can hunt over there but how the hell are you gonna get over there i said i can hunt over there i said i'll swim that river if i can go over there I said, goes, I said how are you going to get across how are you going to get over there jack he said i don't <laughs> I'm going to cross the river. I'm going to swim the river. Yeah. And uh, I put waders on. I didn't have to swim, but I was tiptoeing across to keep the water from going down. I got decoys over my head and there's a gun a, over my head. There's a natural ford right there, and he did good. He did good. And I got over there, and I staked two decoys in, and I set up on the point of this real long finger of woods that has tall, tall ridge up on top. And I sat there all morning, you know, till 8, 9 o'clock. And didn't have any action, so I climbed up the ridge and worked all the way down, probably a half a mile or so, and then dropped back off into those bottoms and sat there for a little while. And then I looked down at my decoys, and there's two big gobblers down there attacking my decoys 500 yards away. So I run on the inside of the woods down this game trail and got about 100 yards from them and just called a couple of times just came on a rope and that's that big eastern that i got full body mounted that uh, frank wagner did that at schwartz taxidermy so that's one of my that's one of my pri- that was a 28 pound turkey i want to tell you i was really proud of brandon i'd hunted that property um he's a much better hunter than i am but i'd hunted that property several years and um that's no mean feat to, to do what he did and do it on the first time that he had ever been on the property I'd been on the property for quite a while, and we've been across the river a lot. Sometimes we had to uh, put a rope across and, and pull across in a canoe to get across. Sometimes we had to wade. You know, sometimes we had the bad boy buggy, and it would work, you know, to get across. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. We, we, there are there at least two times I can think of, maybe three, where um, we never made it across the river. We ended up having to winch it out. and uh, But uh, that was quite a feat. That was really something to be able to get across the river and, and get to those gobblers the way you did. One of my favorite pictures, too, turkey pictures, is of me and Ray with that bird out on the deck there. That It's no longer there. This house burned down, got washed away in a flood, but they had a real long walkway out to an elevated platform over the river and a bunch of dogwood and uh, redbud trees growing in the background. Big redbud right by that. Uh, elevated platform got a picture of that gigantic eastern all spread out with his fan and uh, red bud and bloom and that was, that's a special picture that was a great time it really was it really was i just talked to ray the other day i hunted with ray back in october we did um, the fall hunt and uh, we were on the property 10 minutes and we were in a brood flock 
we didn't kill any turkeys, but we had a couple opportunities where we possibly could have. But there were a lot of talking, a lot of calling. That was fun. So another organization uh, besides Missouri Outdoor Communicators you and I are both real involved in is the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. And we're both past presidents of that. I kind of followed your mentorship through those chairs as well. Uh, We're heading back to Gaylord, our good friend Paul. It's hosting us in Gaylord, Michigan this fall. I can't wait to get up there, but it's a reunion of sorts for you. You had your president conference up there. Talk a little bit about a GLOW, why that's a special organization, and, and your excitement for going back to Michigan. Well, I got uh, involved in uh, several of the writers' groups uh, soon after we started the publication so I could meet writers and get involved and, and learn learn my craft. And the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers um, several of our Missouri people uh, belong, and um, uh, Kurt Hicken uh, from on the Illinois side encouraged me to join, and and Thane Smith was one of the my uh, one of my guys that got me in. And that was almost 30 years ago, and um, I got involved with that group, and and um, the really special, really really uh, great writers, um, uh, a great group. Had a, have had a wonderful time with them, and I got lucky, I guess, to be, have an opportunity again and do some things in leadership, and and that was fun too. And uh, my conference in Gaylord, I think, was 2010, so it might be a 10-year deal. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting back and, you know, trying to get some of the old guys maybe to come back and, you know, have a little mini reunion. I love Northern Michigan. Paul Beach now is one of my buddies now. We've become really good friends. He's such a good guy. Yeah, he's the uh, CNVB guy for uh, Gaylord. But Northern Michigan, is it's just a unique North country. I mean, Wisconsin and Minnesota are beautiful and love them too, but there's just something about the lower, or, or the upper part of the lower peninsula that is, it's just special. I, I love it. And Gaylord, you know, you're you're within distance of the, a good distance of the Asable and you can get over to the coast, and the elk herd is there, and there's just so much going on. It just really is like a Northwoods experience up there. Yeah, and there are a lot of ski resorts. I remember uh, the treetops where we had the conference, and uh, we would have our special events, our evening events, at the bottom of the ski slopes where they had the, you know, the buildings, the gatherings, uh, you know, the happy hours, the dinners, and things like that. How beautiful, you know. It's the it golf capital of Michigan, too. Is that right? Yeah, and a lot of golf courses. Yeah. So there's a lot to do there. Maybe we can get Shags up to a, a GLOW conference for the first time. Man, he would love it. Egg GLOW meetings are usually parties. You much of a skier? No. <laughs> I went one time. I'm over my skis right now. <laughs> I went I went one time in middle school because I had a crush on this girl. And it was like a thing through school. Like if you paid, and the school would take the bus up to Mount Hood and ski. And I, I mowed lawns and baled hay to raise the money so I could try to impress this girl. And it did not work whatsoever. <laughs> I, am, I am terrible on skis. So one thing that you guys have in common, and, and Bob Father, maybe you can lay some longer life wisdom on Shags here, is both no kids by choice. So 
the result of this for Bobby Whitehead is having really experienced Central America, the Caribbean, like all these places that you've been and, and gone at the age most of us, like myself, really can't go because we're at home with our, our children. So Shags has got this window here to try to catch up to your legacy on this world traveling, spending your money on yourself instead of kids. Well, yeah, let me tell you, um, um, when I started really getting involved in the outdoors, I was uh, in my 30s. Um, most uh, people uh, have uh, parents, grandparents. They start off hunting, fishing when they're kids. I didn't much. You know, my, my dad was a newspaper man. He wasn't much of an outdoorsman. He passed away, and then I had a stepfather, and he was a little bit into fishing. But, um, you know, I started at a late age. I was a teenager when I was in my 30s, so to speak. I was killing squirrels and just enjoying the hell out of it. It's like, and I still do. I'm 66 years old, and I still love squirrel hunting. So you got a whole lot of neat stuff ahead of you, even though you're the age you are now. <laughs> Shags. Yeah, I, I have no regrets so far. There, people ask me that all the time, like, are, don't are you sure are you sure and i was like i don't even think about it like it's it, i don't even have an inkling to like yeah, killing squirrels is not where i was going with this i'm talking about like you're a local in k's and belize uh, you have all these incredible stories man like up up this story game a little bit i mean belize, i've been to belize belize is pretty incredible like you've been to every caribbean island right and you've got a fish mounted from just about every one of them down there well for a while there um I tried to um, have a replica, replica, or the the mounts to have a you know show people or whatever. Not to brag or anything, but I, I've accumulated quite a bit over the years of the Belize, and we were actually staying on the island off the coast of Belize, um, and um, we got into that quite by accident one time on a on a mission trip where um, Dennis and um, uh, Lions Club people uh, would go and help the people, and, and I got involved, and somebody invited me to go down there and and uh, write a story about it, and I went down there, and my wife and I fell in love, and I fell in love with saltwater. I fell in love with saltwater many, many years ago, kind of hanging out um, down in Port Aransas in Texas. My family would vacation down there, and I'd get bored, and uh, I'd go down to the pier, and uh, get on one of those party boats and go out and fishing, and that's how I got started. And I'm really lucky in that regard. But um, one of my favorite types of fishing is bone fishing. Have you ever caught a bone no, fish? No, that's on my bucket list. You know, that's I cut one open one time. You know what it's filled with? No, adrenaline. <laughs> I fell right. I fell for that one. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh man! Um, but um, uh, they're they're just uh, the the fishing, the saltwater fishing has just really really got to me over the years. Tarpon, I love sight fishing for tarpon. I had a guy down there for a lot of years. He finally passed away, but um, we had a, a skiff where he would get we would get back in the flats and in the mangroves, and he'd pull us, and we'd look for you know sight fish. And uh, we've caught all kinds of fish, barracuda, ladyfish, triggerfish, all kinds of snappers. Um, I think one day we were out, we caught, I counted it, we caught more than 30 different species of fish, you know, inside the reef. Then he had a boat for outside the reef, caught wahoo, uh, striped marlin, you know, there's a lot of things I haven't done, but I'm very lucky to have gotten into that. And uh, if I had my choice, I... 
um, I do an annual trip to Canada. I've done that for close to 30 years now in different places. But we got this one spot where the smallmouth fishing is incredible. And I just can't wait for that every year. We go in May. But if I had to choose between that and saltwater fishing, I'm not quite sure which one I could pick, which one I would pick. So I'm really lucky in that regard. Now on the flats, are you fly fishing or using spin gear? I was always a spin fisherman. He's, Me too. Pete would, would guide fly fishermen a lot, but I just never really took to it. I'm still trying to teach myself. We were out, out today on Taney Como, and Chuck was giving me a hard time because I kept missing hits. And, no, get a little bit farther. I'm in the line. I'm like, oh, can I just put a jig back on? <laughs> I'm trying. I really, I'm really trying this year to try to become a better fly fisherman. But You fly fish today? Yeah. How'd you do? I caught a couple. We were chasing that big one. It was the first time I've ever sight fished. Like, we, we saw a nice 25, 26-inch rainbow, and we literally spent an hour just doing one drift past it, flying back up ahead of it, coming back down one drift past it, trying to get that perfect cast to put that scud right in front of its face. And we got its attentions once. It, it, it moved its head and kind of came over to take a look and then swam back to its spot, but I couldn't get it. I caught a couple of small ones. It was a big female. There's a couple of smaller males they're trying to spawn. That I caught the smaller males out of the hole, but I couldn't get that big 25-inch female. Did, did Chuck take a shot at it? Uh-uh. So I only got to fish for about two hours this morning before work started blowing up, and I had to come back to the computer and take care of some business, but... How many fish you think you boated today? Because you probably caught twenty in that two hours I was with you. Yeah, I mean, I was I was on my way to having a fifty or sixty fish day, and then I picked up that fly rod for an hour and and just trying to focus in on on that one, which was exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. Of when you know you only get one cast and it's got to be perfect, and then you got to drive back up and you're looking to see if it's there. All right, it's still there. Try to get with a fly rod. That man, I thought I thought for sure we were going to get it. I, no. love Ch- I love Chuck, though, because he's like, we're going to stay out here until we either hook it or we spook it off its spot. We're not, we're not stopping. And then a, then a wade fisherman came out and waded out to, like, right where that fish was at and spooked it off. Yeah, we're not going to go too deep into Tani Como right now because the next couple podcasts are going to focus on it pretty heavily. We're going to have some fellow fishermen and some guides on the next couple of episodes. But, again, we'd be remiss not to just kind of highlight where we're sitting right now and what we're doing. We're at Lily's Landing Resort and Marina on Lake Tanicomo in Branson. And as far as fishing resorts go, as far as, like, trout docks, the comparable ones to this would be, like, Gaston's or... I mean, I don't know if there's anything that really compares to Gaston's and Lily's Landing. This this place is absolutely phenomenal. You and I are in a three-bedroom, upper-level condo. We're, we're recording this on the deck, looking out over the lake, over the trout dock. People, you likely have been hearing the boats coming and going. But everybody attributes, like, Branson to these shows and, and kind of the indoor activities. But Branson, Missouri is a spectacular outdoor destination. And if you like to fish, and even if you don't consider yourself a trout fisherman, this isn't like trying to go get a natural trout out of a stream somewhere there's so many trout stocked in this it's called lake tanicomo but it's actually sandwiched between two dams so it's a 22 mile stretch of the white river between table rock and power site dams so it's really a river and it it functions very much like a, a, a regular tailwater that you would experience anywhere else 
the trout fishing just off the hook. The next world record is brown trout's coming out of here. Um, it, it's just phenomenal for you to go out and catch 50 fish barely trying half a day. And this, we fish. I'm sorry, we fished with Bill Babbler today, and Bill just caught the 42-pound um, brown trout. Uh, not too long ago. 40 pounds, 6 ounce. That's right, right. Because 42 right. will break the world record. Right, so right. So hopefully Bill will be on one of the next couple episodes. And then that's the thing about this place. This is where I, I, I take a lot of people that are interested in trout fishing but don't really know how. Just because, man, you, it's, you're hard-pressed not to catch fish yeah. fish down here. That it's You can go up above the trophy area where it's artificial only, or you can stay below Fall Creek where pretty much anything goes and float night crawlers or power bait. And I mean, you're going to catch fish down here. It's incredible. And it's the first place I met the old Bob father. What four four or five years ago? Yeah, that's at right. The, my that, first CFM event. That's right. He that's graced right. us with his presence a couple of times. <laughs> he has. He wrapped a bag him to come notice down. I, notice I didn't treat you with the same disdain. That I, did. <laughs> I didn't interrupt the chess game. I know better. <laughs> <laughs> you became softer and kinder over time. Yeah, I've, I've mellowed out a bit. I'd say. <laughs> All right, Bobby, one of the things that we do here on the Driftwood Outdoors podcast is when we're coming towards the tail end of it, we have our mystery bait bucket where it's a bunch of questions that have just been randomly put in there, and they're completely random questions submitted by friends, family, uh, fans of the show, and you being our guest of honor, we'll have you reach into that bait bucket, pull out the question, and then we'll all go, all go around and answer it. I'll let you read it. What's something you're good at but hate doing? Ah, you go first. Oh, gutting a deer. That I can, if I if I if I buckle down and just give myself a pep talk, I can get it done in minutes. Like just boom, 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 boom. But man, the fun is over when it's deer hunting for me. Once once you see see that butt go down because it's just work after that and like you got a knife and you got to cut out a butthole like it's just like ugh, it grosses me out it's something that i'm good at but i hate doing and another one that might surprise you i'll double dip to let you have a, a, a moment to get your thoughts is public speaking even being a radio guy like i used to do stand-up comedy and it's just so much social anxiety that before i get up on stage i mean brandon you've seen me before uh, when i host the cfm banquet like i can, i'm i'm hard to talk to i'm hiding in the corner usually having a couple of beers going over my notes just like trying not to throw up on myself but as soon as that microphone like that first word comes out it's all gravy. It's all fine and dandy. But I can the, see that. Yes. The, le- the lead up is just straight panic. It's, and I don't know. I'm really good at it though. But boy, that lead up, I can't stand it. Yeah, you are good at it. It's surprising that you're so nervous about doing it. Yeah, it's silly. For me, it's really any construction project. Growing up with my dad, who Bob Vila's got nothing on my dad. You know this old house. My dad is like, ah, he's doing this wrong. He's doing that wrong. So uh, any time there's a like a handyman project to do, I can do it. I mean, I did it. I, I worked construction all through high school, all through college, framed houses for a few years. So I'm 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 handy. I can do any of it. I'm also so proud of being at a point in my life where I can pay someone else to do it. <laughs> I'm done with that shit. I don't like any of it. Uh, it just upsets me to have to do like little tinkering projects like that. You'll appreciate this. The first time I met his dad is when we were working on the cabin, drift driftwood acres down there, and like his dad's just throwing up walls and just like it's it's like watching just 
art. It's so quick and so fast, and he's so good at it. And that is something I am not good at at all. And I'm trying to do these screws into the ceiling, and I'm firing screws that are hitting him while he's working on something. He keeps looking up and like, who all, who is this asshole? And I'm like, me, ping, ping. I was so embarrassed. Like, I was like, can I just get out of this room? I don't. <laughs> Brandon's dad's gonna I'm kick a, my ass. I'm the same way. I'm my my dad had. Um, two tools he had a hammer and a screwdriver and he never could find the one he needed when he needed it (laughs) and that was my that was my training in that regard and that's i really picked that up i guess uh if i had to pick out uh, something that i'm good at that i really don't care for be the business side of the magazine you know the selling the ads that type of thing I'm good at it in the sense of, and I'm not bragging or anything, I'm good at it because I I listen to people and find out what they need, and I can help them. You know, we can, we've can we helped a lot of people over the years, but um, to me, that's tedious. Yeah. You know, I'm lazy. I'd rather sit in a boat. Amen. I actually started my radio career in sales, and I was neither good at it or enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we have any final thoughts or what we like to call the the final cast? I'll start. Thanks for uh, taking a second chance on me, Bobby, after I came in and interrupted your uh, chess game. so Did you win that chess game, or did he throw you off so much that you lost? We didn't have time to finish it. Oh, even worse. Well, Brandon, that's a, quite a compliment, and you're certainly welcome. And I want to want to tell you that uh, of all the people that I've had a chance to meet and grow with, to mentor, to be mentored by, you're one of the special ones that I've met over the years. And what you've accomplished is just incredible. And um, I've just had a blast today with you guys, and I'm looking forward to tonight and tomorrow, and we're going to have a great time. And it's going it's a wonderful life. Well, thank you. I've, I've appreciated all the guidance and, and friendship and uh, so much more that you've given me over the years. You're one of the true special people in my life. You have a father. You have a grandfather. I'm lucky to have a Bob father. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And I've just enjoyed tagging along for the ride and like getting to meet you. And it's no exaggeration that anytime I come to one of these events, I'm always asking Brandon or I'm scanning a room to see if... If you're if you're at the event and it's always a beeline, I gotta go see Bobby. I gotta go say hi to Bobby. I want to visit with him first. I want to just say hi. It's so, like waiting online to see the Don. Yeah, exactly. Just kiss the ring. Yep. I'm here to kiss the ring. <laughs> you can't refuse anybody. <laughs> huh? He's got it right there. <laughs> I should take a picture of that. It's that, been great. It's been great, brothers. Now, before we get done, though, uh, we've talked about your magazine. Where can people go if? they have any information or maybe they want to get a subscription outdoorguidemagazine.com it's that simple and we'll have it in the show notes thanks guys it's been great gear review coming up next time for the driftwood outdoors gear review every podcast has to come to an end but that means it's the start of brandon's favorite part and that (laughs) is the gear review what are you reviewing for us today so man i have a lot of gear I really do like gear, but I'm also incredibly rough on gear. So something's always going wrong. And maybe more of a tip than gear, but always have duct tape. And the best duct tape I have found is the Gorilla duct tape. You know the Gorilla glue? 
they also make that in a tape and their motto reminds me a lot of myself it's a hundred percent tough <laughs> oh well well done with my gear review it's it's something i've always wanted but have yet to purchase and that's a g3 boat that anytime we're down here at Lily's Landing on Lake Tinicomo in Branson, all their boats are G3 and being out, there's just so much room with the front deck and uh, that center console. It's it's one of those boats for what I want to do with uh, some of these these rivers and even Taney, Lake Tinicomo. I know we call it a lake, but it's definitely shaped more like a river that it's just absolutely ideal. And all G3 all G3 boats, they strive to provide three key features, and that is quality, performance, and satisfaction. And I can't say enough that that's going to be one of my next major purchases is a G3 boat. Well, that boat of Chuck's, and, and most of those boats, I mean, if you get them wide enough, they're just so big and spacious. And all kidding aside, as big as you are, like that's got to be nice. Oh, it's so helpful that I don't feel like I'm stepping on poles or I can take a step and not think I'm going to be right off the end of the boat and yeah. in the water. That, yeah, I love how wide and spacious they I are. I don't want to be in a canoe with you. No, a, a G3 boat all day. <laughs> miserable in a canoe. Well, be sure to follow us on all the social medias. We're on Instagram at Driftwood Outdoors, Facebook, Driftwood Outdoors, and of course at driftwoodoutdoors.com. And if you have a suggestion for guests or mystery bait bucket questions, you can hit us up on those or just email us directly at info at driftwoodoutdoors.com. We will see you down the trail. 